This is John Jantz, author of The Ultimate Marketing Engine, Five Steps to Ridiculously Consistent Growth, and you are listening to The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, and thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message indicating you're a listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. I do this podcast to help me and my listeners keep up with the latest ideas that matter most in the quickly changing and somewhat overwhelming world of modern marketing and sales. My day job is running a marketing agency that helps manufacturers and industrial companies grow their revenue. To learn more about the problems we solve and how we do it, visit salesartillery.com. All right, enough yakking. Let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome John Jantz to talk about his newest book, The Ultimate Marketing Engine, Five Steps to Ridiculously Consistent Growth, published by HarperCollins. John Jantz is a marketing consultant, speaker, podcaster, and author. His other books include Duct Tape Marketing, The Referral Engine, The Commitment Engine, Duct Tape Selling, SEO for Growth, and The Self-Reliant Entrepreneur. He's also the founder of the Duct Tape Marketing Consultant Network, which trains and licenses independent consultants and agencies to use the duct tape methodology. John's small business advice has been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Fast Company, Entrepreneur, CNBC, and CNN Money, amongst others. Seth Godin called John Jantz the Peter Drucker of small business tactics. And interesting fact... He is now a member of a very exclusive club, the Marketing Book Podcast Five-Timers Club. John, congratulations on the Ultimate Marketing Engine, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you so much, and it's uh, it's an honor to be in that, uh, that rare air. Yes, you, Jeb Blunt, and Joe Polizzi. Nice. You all have the a J. It's the J Club. So <laughs> yeah, and, uh, very- and I've yeah, as you know, I'm a fellow podcaster, and I've had those gentlemen on my show as well. Excellent, yes, yes. So they're as prolific as you are. So other interesting facts uh, that I can't resist: you are the father of four daughters, and you're one of ten children. And even though you live in Colorado now, you're still a diehard Kansas City Royals baseball fan. I am indeed, and and uh, of course, depending upon when people are listening to this, I had a very disappointing uh, late innings, extra innings game loss last night. Ah, uh, and you started your podcast, I believe, in two thousand five, and I, I think that was one of the very first marketing podcasts I I ever listened to. I think it was back when I had to plug in my iPod. <laughs> Into the computer. You, you had to get a pod catcher or something. Yes, that's right. Called. That's yeah. right. And I should add that uh, you were one of 11 people, 11 authors I made a video for when I first started my podcast, asking you if you would be on the show. And I have ultimately interviewed all 11 of those people, but 
uh, and the first nine were they had just written books and they were available. But you and Seth Godin, it took me a while. <laughs> But I stayed with it, and I finally uh, have been able to interview uh, each of you uh, a few times. So, And I should also add that if this interview goes well, I will be guest hosting your Duct Tape Marketing Podcast to interview you about this book. On my show, and I, I that's a slam dunk. That's a guarantee. I can, you, it'll actually be a second time for you. I think you did that one other time with me. Yes, I did with you and uh, Phil Singleton about SEO for growth, which is such an excellent book. And you know what? Just this week, I was hearing from a listener and they were asking for questions, asking questions about web design. And I said, you know, before you do that, you have got to read this book. And I uh, sent him a link to the interview along with a couple other uh, great books. And they really seem to appreciate that. And I feel like I've 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 done what I could to help point them in the right direction. So I should also mention that this book has a lot of really great downloadable resources, uh, which I'm going to include a link to. And there's also a like a video course that goes with the book. Is that right? Yeah. So I created a companion course to, to give people a feel. Obviously, before the book even came out, uh, people are uh, consuming that companion course uh, so they'd have a feel of some of these ideas and and actually a taste of some of the resources because uh, the book is, I, I call it purely a strategy book with a workshop inside of it. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. So, so, you know, the ideas are very, very focused on strategy, but every chapter, every action step I ask you to take, uh, there's a corresponding tool or, or template or checklist. And these really have been developed because, you know, I do this stuff. Uh, this isn't just a book that I researched <laughs> and had some good ideas. This is basically a distillation of a, of a practice that I've done for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And one of the key concepts in your book uh, brought to mind one of my favorite books that's been on the show over the years by Tara Nicole Nelson, uh, titled The Transformational Consumer. Uh-huh. And uh, I'll include a link to that interview on your episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And we're going to talk about that transformation concept here. I just want to read two things from uh, toward the beginning of the book. It starts with, during most of 2020 and into 2021, you saw article after article proclaim the strategies needed to market during a pandemic. Most of them boiled down to some version of stop taking your customers for granted and stop spamming people. When has that ever not been good advice? Good marketing that delivers value to those who are trying to solve a problem is always in season. And it always arrives from the customer's point of view. Don't misunderstand. This is not about the customer always being right. This is about being relevant in a customer's life, about changing the context of how they view your business or industry. It's about making every other business irrelevant in their eyes. In this book, I'm going to ask you to rethink how you view your current and future customer, how you view marketing, and how you choose who you work with. Ultimately, you will get the chance to dump most everything you have been told about how to build your business. You will see that there is an entirely fresh perspective available, steeped not in what you see everyone else doing, but in what is in your heart, what serves your grand purpose, and what creates the greatest value for those you choose to call customers. And then on to page three, you write, in this book, I'm going to take you on a marketing journey, but we won't travel the same old road you've been down before. Rather, I plan to push you to think about marketing from an entirely new point of view that allows you to create ridiculously consistent growth. So 
John Jantz, I have to ask you the big question right off the bat. What is the ultimate marketing engine? So those were strong words that you read there, uh, Doug. So I better back those up. It is the ultimate marketing engine is a successful customer. You know, this idea that uh, so much of marketing, the marketing funnel, all the all the practices that marketers use is so much about the business. It's like, how do we get the customer to do X? And what I propose in this book, and 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 when we get to it in very practical terms, how to do this is that we uh, start thinking about how do we get, uh, how do we make a customer successful? How do we take them from where they are to where they want to go or where they want to be rather than how do we sell them something? So, you know, you brought up the word transformation and and, and I also suggest that this point of view has us, instead of thinking so much about transactions, it's more about the transformation that we can create in the lives and the businesses of our customers. So that, that to me, was, was you know, during I – I signed the contract for this book, March 15th, which <laughs> – Think about four seconds. We can all think about what we were doing. The world was coming to an oh, end. 2020. 2020, right? Uh-huh. The, the world was coming to an end in, in most people's eyes. And you know, my, a lot of my customers were scrambling and what are we going to do? And I had a customer uh, text me. It was on a Sunday night at about 8 p.m. Long text, long, long text, uh, which was essentially going to be the the content uh, he was going to send to his 50 employees and and dozens of customers the next morning, basically saying, don't come into work. You know, <laughs> We're going to stop your projects. <laughs> we don't know what we're going to do, but you know, right now we're putting a, a, a giant pause on everything. And I was really taken back. I saw a lot of the responses, and most of them came down to saying something like, "You're doing the right thing. Uh, we're, we'll be with you. What can we do to help?" And and it just to me, it, it shone such a bright light on the, this idea that in good times, a lot of times businesses just thrive from being in the right place at the right time. In tough times. Businesses thrive and survive by being meaningful in the lives of their customers. And that idea is something that that I think we got away from. We've lost. <laughs> and, and that that's really the purpose of a business is to really create a successful customer, whatever that means to the customer. But I think we have to not just say that in words. We have to actually create some very practical processes. That actually has to become the mission, I think, of our business. And that's what I propose in this book. Yes, and there's a great quote on page two where you write, what if the purpose of a business was to discover what it takes to make your customer successful? What if then you concentrated all of your efforts on that goal for an ever-expanding roster of ideal customers? What if growth came with your customers, not from them? So the subtitle of the book, Five Steps to Ridiculously Consistent Growth, John Jantz, let's not keep the listener in suspense here. Let's talk about these briefly, and then we'll go back into a bit more detail of these five steps, okay? So the first step is to listen to the Marketing Book Podcast. And John, I really appreciate you writing the first 100 of the 200-page book all about uh, this podcast. And then the next 50 is all about the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. So really... I think if you just listen to those two podcasts, um, folks are going to be good. And then the third step is to read this book. So, all right, enough comedy jokes there, folks. It, he, nowhere does he mention the well, marketing well, book. <laughs> well, well, you neglected to say that both of our podcasts basically are about telling you to buy this book. Right. <laughs> that's, that's what leads to step three. Yes, yes. But as we already mentioned, it's more than just this book. All the resources are really helpful. And you know what? Even this knuckleheaded podcaster has downloaded a few that I'm going to find helpful. So, okay. But seriously, folks, 
for those that are still listening, the steps are, and I'll, I'll explain what they are here. They're map, uncover, narrow, attract, and scale. Okay, so the first one is uh, map where your best customers are today and where they want to go. And, and in that section, I'd like to uh, at least cover uh, the marketing hourglass and the con- customer success track. And then the second step is uncover the real problem you solve for your ideal customers. In other words, the transformation they're seeking. And step three is to narrow your focus to the top 20% of your ideal customers. And the fourth is attract more ideal customers with the narrative they are already telling themselves. And the last one is scale with your customers by serving their entire ecosystem. So if that didn't uh, get everyone's interest. <laughs> I don't know what will. All uh, very well put together and really got me doing something I hate having to do, John, which is think. So let's start out and talk about this uh, marketing hourglass. But, you know, funnels are a very popular paradigm for marketing and sales. And I see them mentioned all the time in lots of marketing and sales books. And I think they do more help than than harm. But you prefer the marketing hourglass, which has seven behaviors, which is know, like, trust, try, buy, repeat, and refer. So can you walk us through those those seven briefly and, and also explain why you prefer those uh, to just the, the, the more simplistic uh, marketing funnel? Well, as you mentioned, the marketing funnel has been around forever, and and I'm not suggesting that there isn't some relevance to it. I just think it's terribly limiting because most people's marketing funnels, the concept is you get a whole bunch of people up there at the top, uh, get a few more interested, and at some point, a few squeeze out of that small part and become customers. But for so many people, that's where marketing ends. And what I suggest with the metaphor of the hourglass is, yes, it borrows from that idea of the funnel. You know, you think about the top of an hourglass kind of being funnel-shaped. But then once somebody goes through and becomes a customer, I believe the opportunity to really grow and expand your business expands at that point. Uh, for most businesses, the the greatest source of leads is actually happy customers. Yes. So, so so that you know by 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 creating a focus on what happens after somebody becomes a customer, maybe making that the primary focus. Quite frankly, once you get to a certain point, um, is really how you build momentum and this consistent growth that I talk about. Uh, the stages that you mentioned are are. And you use the word behavior, which I'm, I'm glad you did, because that's really how I refer to it. I think so many other journeys and uh, you know funnel stages are all about what we want to get the customer to do. Right. <laughs> it's all about us. <laughs> right. And, and what I want to suggest is these seven behaviors are what our customers and prospects actually want to do mm-hmm. with the companies that they come into contact with, the companies that they, they engage. Uh, we want to know who can solve our problem. That's pretty obvious. Uh, We go out looking. Once we start looking, we're making snap decisions. Do I like what they say? Do I like their website? Does it load fast? I mean, all those kind of snap judgments. Yeah, a lot of this is subconscious. It really is. It really is. But but we can be conscious about how we're intentional. Yes. Um, to, because knowing that people do this um, gives us the ability to guide it. Um, I, you know, I, I kind of talk about instead of creating demand, demand, we're now organizing behavior. So, so once they like, you know, then again, if we start looking at a business, you know, we want to make sure who else likes them. You know, can I trust them? Will they really do what they say? Uh, you know, are they an expert? Uh, do they have qualifications? So all those kinds of things. And then 
I don't know about you, but I think most of us like to see what it might be like to work with a company. Of course, we all think about the 30-day free trial subscription, but frankly, picking up a phone and calling somebody, we may not we may not actually say I'm tr- I'm going to try them out by calling them, but that's what we're doing. Yes. <laughs> so those stages have to be thought of as marketing stages. And then of course, when we decide to buy, you know, immediately buyer's remorse kicks in. We want we want that assurance. We want somebody to exceed our expectations. We want a great transaction process, a great onboarding process. All those things are, are things that we're looking for. Those have to be part of marketing. And then, of course, uh, yeah, I don't know about you. Again, I, if I find somebody who solves my problems, I don't go out looking the next time I need that. I just go right back to them. Oh, I love not having to go find a new supplier. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so you know, we, we're wired to do that. That, so give us reason <laughs> to do that. Uh, show us how to do more with you. Uh, for example, you know, I talk a lot about this idea of growing with our customers. Well, there some percentage of our uh, customers typically that are happy would do a lot more business with them with us if we showed them how. And then, of course, you know, ninety-two percent of small businesses claim that uh, that the majority of their new business comes by word of mouth or referral in some fashion, and yet so few do anything about it intentionally and. <laughs> So, you know, I spend a lot of time, you know, helping people understand all the ways they could really increase their referability. So what we have to understand is that if we use this framework, you really can map out pretty much all of the marketing, all of the content, all of the campaigns, uh, all of the processes that you need to build for your entire business. And then it becomes really a matter of, of you know, understanding the questions and the objectives that people have at each of those stages and, and really building all of your marketing around moving people through those stages. I'd like you to explain one thing from page nine where you write, most marketing is an attempt by a business to go from the no stage, K-N-O-W, when they run an ad or post in LinkedIn, directly to the buy stage when customers come calling. Not only is this highly ineffective, but it even but even if it works, it sets you up for failure. So the assumption is that anybody out there who need, seems to need what I do and seems to be willing to pay for it is an ideal customer. And what I'm suggesting is that these stages are not only there to help you win business, they're actually there to help you turn business away that is not a fit. By, by running people through a process, guiding them on a journey, educating them on how you work – uh, building trust uh, enough for them to say, "Yeah, I think I want to. I really want to consider this organization." You you're actually teaching them to be an ideal customer if you have those processes and steps in place. And and nothing really, you know. I get into further into the book, of course, and talk about this idea of narrowing your focus to your top twenty percent of your clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because. Most businesses have some percentage, uh, sadly, a large percentage in some cases of business that's really not a good fit. Uh, they're not that profitable. Uh, they aren't really. They don't really have the right behavior or the right beliefs or <laughs> mentality about yeah. you know how business should be done. And yet they seem to need what we sell, and so we we sell them. And I, I think the opportunity cost that is lost from chasing business that's a, not profitable, and in some cases, maybe is creating detractors, uh, really takes us away from from the ultimate way to grow, the ultimate marketing engine, which is to really focus on those customers we can make successful. 
that's really one of the caveats of saying that the ultimate marketing engine is a is a successful customer. We can't make every customer successful. We have to figure out the ones we can actually deliver the most value to and find out how to, how to do that in a way that nobody ever thought of doing for them and that will that will that will create growth in and of itself. Yeah, one of the things from duct tape selling or I think it was in there, but it might have been duct tape marketing as well. The other books were where uh, this idea of we don't take on don't take on business unless you can get a referral. Mm. You can't get a referral if you don't make them successful and you know get get them what they truly really truly need. And that's, that's that really had a big impact on on me. Let me ask one other question before we move on, and that is. Uh, can you talk about how this marketing hourglass can help marketing and sales and service for a company get better aligned? This, especially marketing and sales alignment, is a big issue for a lot of companies, a lot of listeners. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you think about the stages, no, like trust. That's really marketing's field. I mean, that's what marketing does: is creates that awareness, gets somebody to take the next step, but builds enough trust so that they maybe now contact the company, and and that becomes kind of try by. That typically is where the sales uh, organization or sales department is is traditionally going to play a role in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, quite often, once somebody becomes a customer, they're handed off to customer success or or customer service, um, and and that in many cases is going to dictate whether or not you get more business and referral business, <laughs> right. or, yeah. or at least you retain that business. So if you think about those, you know, first three stages, then two stages, then two stages being the typical arrangement of an organization. I think what I've experienced when I've worked with a lot of organizations that have those kind of three very defined buckets is that. Often it's those handoffs uh, between the departments that are really sloppy, um, or in some cases there's there's no integration. And so you know I'll get sales and customer service together and and say what happens when after you get an order? Well, I don't know. We just like submit a ticket and <laughs> send it in, and yeah. the customer service person says no, that's not what we need. I mean it's it's really amazing because everybody's just doing their own thing. They're running mm-hmm. their own little world. And this framework, I think, it, it at the very least it gives them kind of a through path of like, here's the whole journey. <laughs> you know, where where are the handoffs? Where are the gaps? You know, where are we not exceeding people's expectations? Um, mm-hmm. And so it, it's it's really a very useful tool. If nothing else, it gives them a common language to to really then build the, their own framework around. Yeah, one, one sheet of, uh, of music. Yep. Let's move on. Uh, on uh, page 10, you, you talk about over the past decade or so, the concept of customer experience has eclipsed the simple idea of customer uh, service. So can, can you uh, you talk about how fully embracing your marketing engine requires a major shift in how you think about marketing and, frankly, about customers. Can you explain this idea of, of customers as members yeah. and uh, what the difference is between customer experience and customer service? Because I, I think there's a lot of folks that still th- group them in the same thing. Yeah, um, you've had a couple authors recently, probably on on your show. Uh, Jay Bear, Joey Coleman, come to mind. That have oh written, yeah, you know, great books about uh, more of this idea to customer experience and the the customer experience idea. I think really builds into the hourglass quite well mm-hmm. because it's not customer service is typically okay when somebody calls in. What do we say? Or when somebody complains, you know, how do we how do we respond? Or you know, if something's not right, how do we make it right? So it's it's sort of reactionary. Yeah. And I think the idea of customer experience is how can we blow somebody away? 
how could we surprise them? What wouldn't they expect to get right here? Right. Well, um, not to mention, uh, how could we have avoided this in the yeah, future? Of yeah, course, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, and some of it's even, you know, how can we continue to talk to them? How can we continue to discover, you know, what, what else they're missing? So it's really, it's really more of a, an engagement mechanism as opposed to a response mechanism, I think. And, and, the uh, huge advancement, I think, uh, in in terms of the thinking of the customer journey. I guess what I'm trying to do in this book is take it one step farther, and to say that you know, what if we did look at our customers as members? And I have to be quick to say, and I do say it quite a few times, probably mm-hmm. in the book. I don't mean a membership model or subscription. I'm not talking about Costco. <laughs> I mean those could all be you know good uh, models for business. Right. I'm it might not even be a term you use with your customers, but yes. you think of them that way. That's that's right, and that's what I was going to say. It's really more of a point of view about how to view the relationship in a lot of ways. Um, how could you how could you have a customer thinking about joining your organization because they wanted to invest in in themselves and in their business? They wanted, uh, you know, they were going to evangelize the cause, you know, of you taking mm-hmm. them from where they are to where they want to be, um, and that that thinking um, to me. I, you know, I didn't want to write a book about how to market in a time of COVID because nobody wants that book. But but there's no question that my thinking in this book was sort of colored by sort of what I saw getting closer to their customers and and really you know saying hey you know we don't have to go back to what we were doing. Um, and I think that to me that's this idea of customers as members uh, really kind of came out of that. And I looked at the work that I'd been doing for about 20 years, and and we had effectively developed something that I now come to call the customer success track. Mm -hmm. And this is my attempt to make this tangible because, oh, nice, customers as members, you know, take them from where they are to where they want to be. All sounds nice, you know, good way to go, John. Um, but, But I wanted to actually make it very practical. So how do we do this? So what I realized is that in an attempt to take in customers, keep customers for years. <laughs> that was my goal, to retain customers uh, for years, my longest running customers from, from 2004, uh, that I had to figure out a way to mature with them. That, that typically people come to marketing firms in, in a, kind of a similar stage. We were able to you know, see the characteristics of the, the challenges that they were having in that stage. Uh, we're also able to see that, hey, if we can move them to the next stage, then you know, here's the promise of that. So as I got really looking at it, I, we mapped out five stages, and and people come to us in foundation, and and then they, you know, we can then level them up, and then we can organize and you know scale and and maybe on to exit even. But but our job as as a marketing firm was really to kind of guide them through those stages. And because I'm really a big systems person, we take every stage and we actually broke it down into milestones. Uh, those milestones are yes or no questions. Uh, not is the website effective, but does the website load on a mobile device? Yes or no? If the answer is yes, then <laughs> you know we move on. If the answer is no, then here are the tasks in order to check that milestone off. And and what it did for us was it gave us a roadmap to almost guarantee that that you know if we started looking at a business and seeing where they were that we knew what we had to do to take them to the next stage and then the next stage. So that is something that's actually in the book if you are interested in marketing maturity model <laughs> um you know fully developed with all the milestones everything you're going to get those but my real goal is I think this idea can apply to any business. I think any business 
is can probably look at their their best customers today and and start seeing that you know most of them come to us in this certain stage most of them have these characteristics and challenges and and even if you can't identify today most of them want to go somewhere else how could you start mapping out what the next stage and the next stage and the next stage would look like and then maybe start documenting that in your in your entire business and what i found is for us it's not only marketing. It's not only our product or our service. Um, it, it, it's really become a mission for the business um, to to really do just what I said: take people from where they are when they join us, when they uh, become customers, to where we ultimately think that they want to go. And it, it also informs our entire messaging. Uh, it informs our selling because we're now showing people a roadmap instead of a you know a product <laughs> that they can buy. It it uh, impacts our hiring, our training. I mean, it, it just really, you know, I talk about it as being marketing, but it's really, I believe, it's a tool that could dictate um, some some pretty effective overarching strategy for an organization that embraces it. Right, and it's not just the transformation of the customer; <laughs> it's transforming your business. And I think it's also helpful. I mean, at least in the, our line of work. You've probably encountered companies over time that think that it's like a light switch you turn on and suddenly everything's working. <laughs> and actually, this helps to show, well, we got a, we got a, we got a ways to go here, and there are certain things that need to to happen first. Uh, more like uh, maybe building a house. The one thing I, I I wanted to ask about though is for you to highlight how this having a customer success track, regardless of what business you're in, how can that actually help you close more deals? Well, I think for us, I'll use us as an example. It helps us close more deals because everybody else is talking about the tactic today. Yeah. And we're, we're actually talking about the, the future world <laughs> for, for our customer that, that, you know, they're, they're talking about like, here's the problem I have. And how, how come people beat me up over price? And how come I don't rank on search engines? And, and so everybody else is selling them, you know, an SEO strategy. And we're basically selling them um, a, a strategy that's going to allow them to differentiate their business. So thoroughly that that people will expect to pay a premium for their products and services, and ultimately that you know will lead to recurring revenue that may allow them to you know exit their business. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that for a lot of folks that you know that is the ultimate goal. They hadn't actually even given themselves permission to express it, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, because they're admired in the why doesn't this work? Um, and so I think for for us it definitely helps us land business because I mean we hear it all the time you've got a roadmap. <laughs> um, and and that's really what we want. Everybody else is just trying to put a Band-Aid on where we are today. Exactly, exactly. Let me just end with one quote. Uh, on the surface, it may seem like this step is simply asking you to document how you serve your customers. While there's little denying that outcome, when you more clearly understand the transformation your business delivers, when you know precisely that it, what it takes to get your customers where they want to go, you now possess the framework for every aspect of your business. Um, let's go on to uh, chapter six, which I have to say was my favorite chapter. <laughs> it's a, it's titled The Real Problem You Solve. <laughs> and uh, it was also tied in very nicely with the book's uh, epilogue, which just blew me away. I, it was I, I was fantastic. So there's a couple things here. I'm proud of you for reading that that far. You know, my editor said nobody reads uh, epilogues. <laughs> I paid more attention to that epilogue, and it affected me more deeply. I think than well, it was unexpected, and uh, maybe we should keep okay. it a secret. But it, I I really appreciate what you what you wrote there, and it really got. It got again. It got me thinking about me <laughs> and life. So, dang, that was the point. <laughs> 
damn it. Well played, good sir. So uh, there's just uh, there's just such uh, gems in this in this uh, one chapter. Couple a couple of them I want to read here. One is people don't buy products or services because they want them, <laughs> but because they believe they will solve a problem. And you go on to write uh, how businesses that understand, communicate, and promise to solve the real problems their ideal customers face can make a giant leap toward rendering all competition irrelevant, as we mentioned earlier. You write, no one wants what we sell. They want their problems solved, period. And just so the listener knows, that sentence was all italicized. So he really meant it. And uh, you write, there are only a few things people actually need. Everything else can be lumped into what they want. Even if you sell rainbows and opportunity, it must come wrapped in a problem-solving package. Uh, so in this whole section, you, you talk about the, the, the all-important promise to solve your ideal customer's greatest problem. And you go on to write that before we go much deeper into this all-important step of crafting your problem-solving message, we need to take a look at a customer's entire decision-making process. The following three questions (laughs) describe marketing in a nutshell. Think of the questions as stages of a relationship. And I want you to talk about these. It's I'll tell you what they are. One, do you get me? (laughs) Two, can I trust you? And three, did you keep your promise? <laughs> Go. <laughs> well, so, you know, do you get me? I mean, that's the whole idea of, of stating the problem that you solve or that you're promising to solve. Because a lot of times people go out there searching and they, they actually, in some cases, can't articulate the problem they're experiencing. They just know something's wrong, that something's broken. They're not getting the results that they want. And I think that that, you know, if you come to a website and they say, uh, something that 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 just like makes your brain explode because you're like that's it <laughs> that that's you know you get me yes. <laughs> you are talking about me uh, everybody else is talking about their thing or themselves yeah me. right uh-huh. right and, and and you know goofy goofy example I use in the book is we had a tree service that we worked with years ago. We interviewed their clients, looked at their website reviews, um, and over and over and over again, people were saying they show up when they say they're going to, and they clean up the job site <laughs> thoroughly. And, you know, seems like little simple things, but that was the problem they were solving. I think most people felt like, feel like, hey, you got a chainsaw on a truck, you can cut a tree down. But will you show up? at the appointed time so I don't have to hang around all day. And then when I come home from work, will I not even be able to tell you're there? Because I'm not getting that from anybody else. (laughs) And and so we put that big and bold above the fold on their website. We made it their strategy. They had an on-time guarantee. You got a discount if they weren't there. And I mean, that's their their best customers were saying, this is what we're not getting from other people. Mm -hmm. And so that's the, that's, that's, the message that says, we get you. <laughs> we get what your real challenge is. Right. And otherwise, they might have been talking about how great the chains are on their chainsaws. Oh, or how long they've been in business. Yes. Oh, <laughs> please, please. Oh, I had to laugh on page 75 when you wrote, few businesses promise anything, certainly not anything customers care about. They merely showcase how alike they are to everyone else. <laughs> They say, look at us, we're older, bigger, more results-oriented, more cost-effective, and more partner-centric than those other companies. Oh! <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you, I didn't make any of this up. By yeah, right. I've, I've experienced a, a lot of that. <laughs> but I wonder if you could just say a little bit more about the benefits of making problem-solving 
central to your marketing strategy and and even your sales process. In other words, if more of your organization can understand the problems we solve, how much that helps. Well, I think that marketing is everyone's job in an organization, frankly. I mean, there are very few organizations that have people that have absolutely no contact with a customer or a prospect. Um, I mean, even if they're, you know, at home on social media, you know, they're interacting in some way, shape or form, potentially with, with customers and prospects. And so, just having an understanding of the, not just the core problem. I mean, I, you know, I want to nail one as a core message, but really almost every service product thing that, that a company does is probably addressing a number of problems. And by, by going very deep into that, and I actually have a whole, I think it ends up being about 30 or 40 um, entries that, that are addressing the, the, I, I lovingly call them the ways people whine um, <laughs> you know, to us, the things that we hear where they're expressing their problems. And, and the, the key is that they don't connect their problem with our solution. We have to understand their problem, promise to solve it so that they give us permission to connect that. Let me give you an example. One of the things I hear all the time from small business owners, a complaint um, is that we can't charge what we're worth because we're a commodity or you know, people are always trying to beat us up over price. That's probably one of the biggest complaints I hear. Mm-hmm. That's obviously a problem, but it's a strategy problem is what it is. But nobody wakes up and says, I think I'm going to go out and buy me some strategy today. Um, and so if, if, uh, if I'm not talking about the reasons they can't charge what they're worth um, or how to charge what they're worth, they're never going to listen to me when I say that your problem is really a strategy problem. Well, let's go to uh, the next uh, step three, which is narrowing your focus. You write that there are uh, plenty of customers to go around. Just remember that you don't need them all. And maybe more important, you don't want them all. Remind listeners what the terrible opportunity cost is of saying yes to everyone. I, I think at one point in the book, you talk about, you know, when you say yes, was it uh, the coaching habit? You mentioned that. Yeah, book. Yeah. What, what are you saying no to? Yeah, and I think that that's a great question. We should pin that up. And that applies to so many things, not just what we're talking about at this moment. That applies to a lot of things in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this step is probably my favorite. Um, I know you're not supposed to have any favorites, um, but one of the reasons I like it is I think it challenges people the most. I, you know, I say 20% cliche, quite frankly, because the 80-20 rule, which I've just seen to be somewhat true over the years. Yes. Uh, that, uh, you know, when I go, I'll tell you the step that I make people do first is I make them rank their clients by profitability somehow and and not, you know, not just revenue necessarily, but truly profitability because there are a lot of types, people have different types of engagements that that are more profitable than others and not just total revenue. But anyway. But that, wait, wait, let's slow down for a second. That's really important. And I think a lot of companies are focusing more on revenue. Focusing on the profitability of customers can really change the strategy of your business and and much better influence your marketing decisions. Well, and what it does for, for many of the businesses I work with, I mean, I agree with you 100%, but what it really does is it shines a light on the fact that some cases, 30, 40, I've even seen as many as 50% of business that people are doing is not profitable. Maybe they're not losing money on it, but it's not anywhere near as profitable. An example I love to pick on is uh, we, were, we were working with a waterproofing basement company um, and you know, went and looked at their website. We were going to clean up their website. And uh, first off, uh, they had told us that 80% of their business, frankly, and, and certainly profit came from pure up, straight up basement waterproofing. And yet 
on their homepage, there were 27 services that they offered. Um, <laughs> some of them they had done once five years ago. Um, <laughs> Notary public. <laughs> so, so if you were a first-time visitor to their website, you'd have no idea that they were the boss <laughs> at waterproofing engagements. And uh, so we got all we we actually got them to narrow it down after fighting for quite some time to three services on their homepage and really focused on their core service. And all of a sudden their business just skyrocketed because <laughs> they stopped chasing stuff that they really didn't know how to do anyway. And they certainly weren't weren't doing any business in that, but worst, I think it was costing them because even search engines weren't ranking them as highly yes. location waterproofing because we weren't talking about it enough. So, so that, you know, is, is to me was, uh, you know, a perfect example of sort of the opportunity costs or loss that's just not seen. But we also see a lot of businesses that take on clients that aren't a good fit that they really can't add that much value to. And that's part of the equation that I don't see enough businesses factoring. Instead, they're looking at opportunity. Are they in the right industry? All the demographics, all those things. But we really, I analyze a business quite often as being an ideal fit if I know I can deliver a tremendous amount of value quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, to them. And there's certain characteristics that tell me that <laughs> about a business and certain behaviors, certainly of the owner or the buyer. But but those the, by by understanding those elements, it really allows you to stop doing business in certain places because sometimes those clients that aren't good fits also turn into detractors. Yes, they didn't have, they didn't have a great experience because yeah. they weren't very profitable. You didn't really want to serve them, so you didn't. <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of human nature the way way it goes. And of course, those are always the ones that uh, that that beat a line to uh, uh, Google reviews and and leave you that two star glowing two star review. So. You know, that's another reason to, to really get very narrow about who you can deliver the most value to because those customers are all going to be happy. And, and then to me, the job of the marketer is, okay, yeah, let's go out and find more people like that, that meet that profile, but also let's start looking at ways that we can do more with that existing mm -hmm. business. I, I have seen over the years uh, that many, many businesses that we work with, that we get them to focus on this, that, that some percentage of their business will do 10 times as much business with them if they showed them how. And, and, and an even smaller percentage might do 100 times more, right. you know, because they want to. They, they love you. They, you yeah. know, they, would, they would give you, you know, whatever you wanted or whatever you asked for within reason uh, if they felt like they were going to get a value in return. And so, uh, you know, the, you've already gone through no like, trust, try, buy with them, you know, so now. <laughs> <laughs> now it's a matter of saying, okay, how, where other, what are other places or other ways we can deliver value to you? Yeah, it reminds me of a a, a customer that would say to a business, "Oh, I didn't realize you all did that." Oh, <laughs> isn't that the most painful thing? Yeah. Well, you know, let's go to the last two uh, steps. Couple questions. Step four. This is chapter eight, where you, the the chapter title is "The Narrative Is a Story," and you write a first note exactly where your customers are, where they want to go, and what they aspire to. Then map the milestones that will get them there. Now you can attract even more ideal customers through the story that you know they are telling themselves. Oh, can you explain that? And, and also this uh, the, the core story script. Yeah. So first off, I'd probably better talk a little bit about narrative versus story. Yeah, uh, that's my yeah. next question. <laughs> I feel like I have to do that to set up uh, the rest. But yeah. Um, so, so the idea of story in storytelling in marketing, you know, there's, 
there was probably one or two books 10 years ago. Now there's an entire department in a bookstore on, on this idea of storytelling. Yes, you, yes. You know, you've interviewed many of the, the authors and there's nothing wrong with stories. It's certainly an advancement over, you know, telling people who you are and what, you know, what you sell and all the, you know, the features and benefits. But I think that people have become very formulaic about that. And, and I think that the, the, the formulaic approach to storytelling that you know comes from the Star Wars movie <laughs> or, or all the other places that people get things like the hero's journey is that it assumes people are all on the same path and that we can make them jump through the hoops that we want to make them jump through. And one of the things that, that I think uh, we have to understand is that many of the ways in which people move through a journey, how they show up at a stage in the journey, they're out of our control today. And so the idea behind narrative versus story, the story is the linear path. Here is the story, how it happened. The, a narrative is more like what a movie director would do to suck you into the story. And, and we're all familiar with the, the opening credits, uh, a, a huge car chase and fiery crash cut to the protagonist in seventh grade. <laughs> Right, um, and and we're like got wait my a, attention. Wait yeah. a minute, you know, I I I'm, I want in. I want to know, what, you know, what caused this and what happened. And I think that that's the idea of narrative storytelling is that we actually, in some cases, lead with this is what your world could look like if you had this problem solved, as opposed to just saying you have this problem, we have this solution. This is what's going to happen, <laughs> and and so the script, the core story, you know, script kind of follows a little bit of that idea of. Yes, there is storytelling, but it has to be, uh, you know, for me, the formula is, you know, what if your world looked like this? You know, here's, yeah. here's the problem that's stopping it from looking like that. Oh, and by the way, it's not your fault. <laughs> you know, here, here are all the evil forces stacked up against you uh, to make sure, you know, but by the way, we, you know, there is a way to get that problem solved. Right. And then but they identify themselves. Exactly. In that narrative. One other question about that section, John. Chapter 9, you write that your website is the hub of your marketing engine. But John Jance, I have to ask if it's that important. Why do you cover that in Chapter 9 of 10 chapters? I guarantee you that there will be a two-star Google review um, <laughs> of this book that says something very similar to that. And I, I do address it. My... You know, this is strategy before tactics. Yeah. And so if you don't have, uh, if you haven't been able to outline, map where your best customers want to go, if you haven't been able to uncover the real problem that you solve for them, if you're not narrowing your focus and talking to an ideal customer, then your website's not going to work. Yes. <laughs> and so that's why I, that's why I've, you know, waited all the way to this uh, point to, to bring it in here because, um, you know, so many people come to us and say, I want to run ads because my website's not, you know, generating. <laughs> <laughs> you know, any conversions for me. I'm like, well, we got yeah. this little backwards. Or, or uh, like you and I, over the years, have gotten calls from prospects saying, hey, do you guys do websites? Well, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> yes, we do. That's what I say first. And then I say, but yeah, what yeah. you really need is a marketing strategy. Because that's, you know, in our business, like I said, nobody goes looking for marketing strategy. They look for their website fixed. They want content. They want STO. Um, what we show them is how all those things have to work together strategically. But we take the business, you know, when well, they call, sure. we, we take the call. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And if you uh, ask good questions, you can educate right. with questions and, and get them to understand that to say to themselves, oh, actually, I want a good website. Yeah, <laughs> I want an effective one. John Jance, you could have been a mechanical engineer, I think. 
<laughs> because you know it's all about systems and yeah. how it, beautifully all these things are are interrelated. There's no silver bullet out there. Um, let me just the, one of the we're running out of time, but I just wanted to ask a question. Um, page one sixty nine, you write that most books on marketing begin with lead generation. And you write, but as you will see in the unfolding of this step, this is the last step, scaling your business. My contention is that effective lead generation is simply the logical outgrowth of the elegant implementation of the four previous steps in the book. Can you talk about that? Well, you know, it's kind of the the Stephen Covey, or he probably stole it from somebody, but, but begin with the end in mind yeah. um, idea. And and that to me, so I go through those hourglass stages of know, like, trust, try, buy, repeat, and refer. And what I didn't tell you is most of the time we go through those with a client and then we say, let's go through them backwards. Let's start with referral. What do we want a client, customer, mm. thinking, feeling, doing, you know, 90 days after they become a client. Brilliant. You know, 45 yeah. days after. And really what it does is, is by starting there, it it changes. Oh well, we need to follow up differently. We need to show them that they got results. You know, I mean, it's like they start re-engineering the whole company. Yes, you know, yes. because that's now the goal. And so that that's really kind of my thinking um, in in that statement, at least. But but that's why step five. You know, essentially, step five is about referrals. Yeah, um, and and. A lot of very, I think, very deep. Um, in fact, I do an all-day workshop just on step five because it, it it really gets into some deep concepts. I don't think too many people are teaching about growing with your customers. About yes, a um, lot of this was new to me, and I should remind listeners: you, in fact, wrote an entire book about yeah, referrals. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, which I don't see a lot. I don't see as many books about uh, referral marketing as I do about you know whatever fill in the blank lead generation or, or content marketing. So. Well, you know, just last thing, you write that most people believe that referrals are happy accidents resulting from having done good work, but uh, this fifth and final step is fundamentally about active referral generation as opposed to passive referral generation. What's the difference? Well, in, in passive, I mean, they're, they're really- That's the happy accident. Right? Yeah, that's the happy accident. It's yeah. like we do good work and people do, you know, reverse, which is awesome. But what I'm suggesting is you could get five times the amount of referrals yes. if you did some of the things I'm talking about here. Because a lot of times happy referrals come from that customer that actually got to experience your brilliance, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. But that might be a small number. But strategic partners, all the other uh, members of the ecosystem of your clients, <laughs> you know, yes. could actually be could be potential uh, referrals in the you know hundreds. Um, and so this book actually outlines five or six uh, steps or processes or I'm not sure what I should really call them, but but com almost complete systems in a box for how to actually uh, really ramp up that number of referrals and not just count on uh, the the happy accidents of you know. Of, of happy clients. Yes. And like I said, a lot of uh, new ideas that I had not, uh, I don't think I'd seen those uh, before unless they were in your <laughs> earlier book and I already forgot them. But well, John, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Well, I think it would be this idea of thinking about uh, their customers differently. So the customers as members, and and really, I'd love to see, and, and I encourage anybody who buys the book and uh, takes uh, takes my advice and my action steps uh, to heart uh, to to share what they've developed as their customer success track. I think that uh, idea could be if the, if there's an innovation in this book that that 
maybe nobody is talking about. I, I think that's the idea that that's probably the big idea of this book, and that's why I really led with uh, with that step. Um, so, you know, I'd love to hear from people uh, on on that. Yeah, and his email address is right there in the book, folks. So many times. Right? Yeah, John. What? Let's give the listener one thing to do today, just to get started in this path, uh, putting an action idea from your book, or, or maybe one we've mentioned. Well, I, I guess the one that I would say might be a starting point is is let's take a look at your customers. Try to rank them by profitability mm. if you can, and and see where you've got maybe sort of normal stratus of of. Yeah, top 20, kind of middle, you know, we all think about A, B, C clients, uh, that kind of thinking, you know, probably leads to some profitability thinking. And then also take a look at, are any of those referring you today? Um, you know, if you've got thousands and thousands of customers, it's a little harder to have that glimpse. But, you know, if you've got dozens and dozens of customers, you know, maybe you have a pretty good insight into both profitability and referability um, uh, because, those are the people, those are the businesses, the individuals that, that we then want to figure out what problem do we really solve for them? You know, what behaviors make them ideal? Uh, how could we do more with them? That's going to be the start of your narrowing to 20, top 20%. That's great advice. And it's funny, there's a, like an entire book written about that that I've had on the show, The Customer Centricity Playbook by Peter Fader, professor at Wharton, where they talk about start with uh, the profitability. And uh, it's it's worked really well for some marketers that are, are starting to try to lead their organization that direction. So, are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? You know, um, I had a gentleman on on my show. I, I don't know where I came across him. He's, he's a, a columnist for the Guardian, Guardian, um, uh, named Oliver Berkman, and he has a book called Four Thousand Weeks, and it will change. Everything you think about productivity and time management. It is an awesome book. By the way, there are no hacks in this. It's really more about the reality is we can't control time and we should stop trying. Oh, interesting. You know, I've 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 been exposed to that book somewhere. I've seen it around. Maybe somebody's sharing it on social. And it, it, uh, it's you know, it's spent the first few weeks on the New York Times bestseller list as well. Oh, yeah. terrific. Yeah. Well, good. Well, at marketingbookpodcast.com, we'll include links to everything linkable, all the sites, uh, your sites, uh, your resources, your LinkedIn profile. And listeners, if you could do me a big favor, please reach out to John Jantz himself and thank him for being a guest on the Marketing Book Podcast. If you have a question, please ask. I, I have a feeling he might actually answer it. Uh <laughs> well, and, and, and Doug, maybe when uh, you uh, come and host uh, my show, we can have a discussion about uh, why that epilogue uh, touched you, or, or maybe that's better for a beer. But either way, I'd love to talk to you about that. Will do. Yes, absolutely. I'm sorry we didn't have time to get to it. But hey, the book is The Ultimate Marketing Engine, Five Steps to Ridiculously Consistent Growth. The author is John Jantz. John, thank you very much for returning to the Marketing Book Podcast. Uh, I'm afraid, Doug, this might be my last book. I'll never come back on again. <laughs> no, that's not true. I'll come back anytime you have. Thank you. Thank you. It's my honor. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who have left an iTunes review, let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks 
and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world and I'll drop it in the mail. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message indicating you're a listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. And remember the words of the entrepreneur and author Jim Rohn, who said, formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Oh,